With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. Hi, this is the Death Fighter Akira from MLW, DCW, ICW, and everywhere else. And you are listening to the WrestleBill Podcast. You're listening to the WrestleBill Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry. And my guest today is Akira, professional wrestler of five years. How are you doing, sir? Rough week and a half, needless to say. <laughs> well... I'm glad you're here, and I'm, yep. I appreciate you uh, keeping in touch with me. And, yeah, you shared with me a little bit about what's going on. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's nice that you were still able to make time with me despite everything. Talk to me a little bit about your career. Talk to me how, how you got started. So, I mean, I was watched when I was younger. Um, my dad, ECW, WWF, WCW. My uncle would have uh, old like New Japan tapes, Trader tapes. I would watch those. You know, I just, I didn't know what I was actually watching, but I watched. You know, and I I always sat there and I liked it. Kind of fell out of it around you know when I got into my my preteens because you're more focused on your teenage angst. Your you know your own. You think you know the world evolves around you. You think your misery is everything, and that's just kind of how I was until I got to college. But. I, I mean, I was, I was always watching when I was a kid. I've kind of fell around the scene of years because I was around the time I hit junior high. Bret Hart, The Rock, you know, the, those, those were my guys. Jericho, even I remember, I remember vividly uh, the night that Jericho debuted on Raw uh, was that's one moment that was just in my head, just stuck in my head. I always liked it, but then I, you know, I fell out of what I fell out of it, and you know, I was focused on school, focused on myself, focused on, you know, just the next stages of life because it's, it's a lot. And I really wasn't focused. I didn't really think, you know, I could be a professional wrestler. I didn't think I could be, you know, you don't think I could do this thing and make a living out of it and do anything with it. I didn't really get to do choose a whole lot of things that I wanted to do when I was younger. I didn't get to really, if I had my way, I'd have been doing MMA. I'd, have, I'd probably have done amateur wrestling and I'd have dove like headfirst into that. And then, you know, I'd, I probably would have winded up here still, but in my own, in a different way. But we take the paths that we take and, you know, they happen for a reason, I believe. When uh, I got into college, um, like my second year, I became friends with someone who I'm still friends with to this day. was uh, one of the best. I was one of the groomsmen at his wedding. And the, he had a Royal Rumble party. I don't remember what Royal Rumble it was, but I I sat, I went there, I sat, and I got, okay, wrestling. You know, I, I was never like, I hate wrestling, blah, 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 blah. I just never became that, that jaded person where, you know, you go, I used to like it. No, it's, it's that it's that stuff. I just whatever. So I I sat there and watched it, and my pick one. You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I got a stupid gift um, from it because, like, the winner of that Rumble thing, or whatever, won this cheap little imi- imitation uh, United States Championship, and basically you'd hold that for the year until 
the next rumble. And I was like, well, crap. And I got to, I got to keep watching and, you know, get invested so I can try to keep this stupid thing. Cause I, that's, I'm, I'm super, I'm competitive over the dumbest things, but I kind of got back into it from there. And then what really made me go, I love professional wrestling again was Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn, Dallas, uh, NXT TakeOver. That was the that's how I watched that. I go, wow, wrestling's changed. Wrestling's different, you know? And I got back, and I, that, from there, I dove headfirst back into Ring of Honor, Noah, New Japan. You know, I just, I went into everything. Um, I was just, I was absorbed by it because, you know, that's when AJ Styles debuted at the, at the Rumble. Uh, just, I was captivated and I realized that pro wrestling had changed. I think it had changed for the better because it became more attuned to what I like in sports. I like the athleticism. I like um, aggression. I like a sense of realism in, a, in, a, in its way because I remember when I was watching in the mid 2000s, it was that really hokey soap opera bullshit that I just, I not for me. I don't like it in, I don't like it in any way, shape or form. I, maybe if I'm high as a kite, because I can sit there and just laugh and go, this is so stupid. Like, Mosh will watch Gossip Girl, and I'll sit there and I'll watch an episode, and I go, this is so dumb. <laughs> but regardless, uh, I I just got, I got back into it, and I never thought, once again, I could I could do this. But I got out of college, and where I was a, I was a uh, college swimmer for three years, and I quit just to repeat injuries. But were you studying in college? Public relations, corporate communications, so things that you don't think would work in professional wrestling, but work a lot, especially when it comes to social media, um, public image, and whatnot. A lot of things that people don't really seem to take into into forethought anymore. Graduated, and I started working like three different crappy jobs. I worked a factory job where I my I got I had carpal tunnel in my hand where I'd wake up and every day my hand would be like this and I had to pry it, work it. It was just. Just jobs for jobs, you know. It wasn't anything that I was like, I'm. I don't. I said, if I did this for the rest of my life, I don't want to live very, very long, you know. But then I went to a WWE live event. My uncle was like, Hey, I got free tickets. You want to go? Free thing. Why not? And there, I watched AJ Styles versus uh, a certain man named Dean Ambrose in the main event in a TLC match. Lots of uh. Um, foreshadowing for my career, if people know here, um, especially with all all the elements in play. And I watched that main event, and I said, I looked at my uncle, and I realized how much I missed being athletic and how much I missed uh, being artistic in its own way. And I said, I'm going to become a professional wrestler. And I started researching. And that's literally just where it stemmed out of um i was going to go to billy rock school who was a indiana mainstay um and he, he, that was like maybe 30 minutes from me because <clears throat> i'm from uh originally delphi indiana so home of uh dick the bruiser yeah so yeah lots of once again lots of weird foreshadowing that i really don't think about but when i went to go look up billy's school they had closed that year so i go oh I can't do that. Um, what's next? So I found a school, um, school being the operative term here, uh, New Wave Pro Wrestling. They're a, they're still a indie that's going in, in Indiana, but at the time they were not what they were now, but that were, they were three and a half hours away. Well, I want to do this, so let's do it. 
I just, I knew I had something in the back of my head, call it God, call it whatever, intuition, fate said, dude, you got to go do this. This is where you got to go. I said, okay. So I worked three jobs, gathered up the money I needed for tuition that, you know, I didn't even pay the full tuition for. I paid like $500. I'm like, okay, that's good. I go, okay, cool. <laughs> and I was one of three students and the only student of that class that lasted. I drive three and a half hours one way after working two jobs. I would go to train. I'd go to my trainer's house and I love my, my original trainer to death, but his house was a literal shithole animal crap everywhere, whatever. I'd sleep at the foot of his bed because it was probably the cleanest spot. But I was like, I want ring time. You know, I want, I want to be around this as much as I can. And I do that every weekend. You know, I would literally make time. From there, I I was going to debut after like three months because they're like, okay, you're probably going to learn best by starting to do shows now. But then I got uh, mono and you can't, when you get mono, uh, your I think it's your liver, or your, or your or your bladder, whichever one it is, um, it's it's it, it swells, and if you hit it wrong, you hit wrong hit, it bursts, and you're dead. So I was like, okay, I can't do that, but I'd still go and I'd uh, <clears throat> I'd I'd train after a certain while. I just you know I couldn't debut. I I couldn't do a lot of the basic stuff, but I'd sit there, I'd watch it be around, and I'd absorb it while I could. Then uh, January 2018, I made my debut kicked the crap out of of uh, the other student and they never showed up again because uh we we had a match and I the first thing I did was just the hardest kick I've ever probably ever thrown in my life. And everyone goes everyone freaked out. They're like, oh my God, that was so cool. But they were like, oh my God. They were they were not ready for it. I kind of want to ask you about that too, about the style today. Do you do you <laughs> think that the style is a little more aggressive today? Any I mean aside from deathmatch wrestling right do you feel like it's more of a competition um, I, because before it was uh, a little more of a work people that know better it is my first match i just came out swinging because i was so amped up that that was on me um but people that know better the people that you think are like killing someone um you're probably getting fooled in the best way possible. But that's that's the way we spun it, though. Um, there was that era, though, where people were just blasting each other. People were mistaking strong style for yell each other when strong style in itself was a take on Inoki's belief that professional wrestling was the best martial art, which I also believe um, professional wrestling, catch wrestling being that staple. But people wanted to mistake it because – and also the whole strong style thing they think that they're talking about – they're actually talking about King's Road. Like, they want the Masawa-Kobashi trade-off for a minute. They want the, uh, God, uh, Kensei Sasaki-Kobashi chop trade-off, fire up. I'm like, that's that's King's Road. That's not that's not strong style. You, you dummies, no, no better, do better. But I, I can't ask professional wrestlers to do better because we hit the head and using their brain is hard. But... I that, literally just there. I just I'd, I'd hop in cars with my trainer, and I would, I would just go to shows, you know, work where I could, show my face where I could, you know, made an ass of myself a few times, did good a few times. It's the, the nature of the beast. When you get into a, a completely foreign territory, you're going to do things that are good, do things that make you look stupid. It's just how it goes. You're gonna do it probably all your life. You know, you're gonna do good things. You're gonna do dumb things. So. 
any wrestlers that are listening to this or like, how the hell did he make it? I, I haven't made it yet. I'm just doing okay. You're making good track. Yeah, it's, I'm, I, I still have to remind myself. I'm five years in. You know, I, I look at I look at Masha and I sit there. I go, I'm not doing enough. But I also go, she's been doing it for like nine to ten years, dude. Like it's, and she's been to Japan. It's been a, it's a different beast. But I'm not doing bad. You know, I, I'm never gonna be that person that strokes my own ego and say I'm doing amazing. I, I'm doing I'm doing okay. When I have a a house paid for and a car paid for and I'm just wrestling, that's when I'll say I'm doing pretty good. But right now I'm doing okay. I. I just, I just wrestled, you know, I, I was working still a style very, like very similar to what I was doing. I'm doing now, but um, I always was told that people didn't believe me because I wasn't, I was, I had long hair then I was very pretty. And just because I had long hair and I was pretty, they, they said, uh, they're like, Oh, you're just a Shinsuke ripoff. Even though it's like, I don't do anything that he does, but whatever. I, I heard because um, they're like, it's your mannerisms. I'm like, I'm just being me. I'm like, if you just think that two Asians having similar mannerisms is them being the same thing, I hate to tell you, bro, that's kind of racist a little bit. It's the same thing with people that will say, uh, they'll look at me and they'll go, oh, you're white. And I go, what? And they go, oh, yeah, you're white. You're too white to be Asian. And I go, I'll show a baby picture. They go, that's you? And I go, yeah. I'm like, you think every Asian person is yellow? What are you saying right now, man? They go, uh, I'm like, yeah, you know what you're saying. Now you feel like you're a total asshole. And I'm like, not everyone looks like, you know, the, the color yellow from, from a crayon. It's such, it's, it's such a weird thing. And the only people I hear that from are not Asian people. Other, other Asian people will come to me, like other Japanese people will come up to me. And they'll be like, oh, I can't stand. Hi. And like, uh, Rena Yamashita, she'll, she'll come up to me every show that she's at for GCW. And she'll be like, I can't. And hug me. Funny story, I went because um like three months into my career, I went to the New Japan Dojo and I trained for a week with Shibata-san. And uh, Tiger Hattori was there for a day. And he looked at me and pulled me over and he goes, oh, you're mixed. And I go, yeah. He goes, Korean, Japanese? I go, and white. He goes, yes. And I go, if this man, if Tiger Hattori, one of the most legendary professional wrestling referees ever, can call me out and be like, I know what you are. I'm like, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Stop questioning who I am. I remember like, when I started going off heavily in 2020 and like my name was rising, there was someone I had a match announced that said that it was me and some a guy named Alex Ocean. And he said, someone said, this match is a lot of mayo. You, you take these things and you just roll with it. You know, people have been saying shit about me since I started. Like Ian Rotten hated me from the get go just because I was everything, you know, I just didn't vibe with his bullshit. You know, I, I I didn't come and wrestle for him when I had a horrific uh, leg injury. And he was like, oh, he just doesn't want it. And I'm like, you know what? You, you learn to take these, listen to these people that dislike you and you just ignore them. Maybe listen to what they have to say. Maybe they have some something of value or of merit that you can partake upon yourself and grow. But generally, nine out of ten times, it's just because you're successful without them and they're just jealous pieces of shit. Specifically, in Rotten. Now that he he's he's done so for good, I can just rip into his ass forever. And be like you, lowballing, never paid me a dime for me wrestling for him. Hate, hate his guts. Hate his guts. The fact that he is that he embarrassed himself publicly and continues to do so is just like icing on the cake for me. Every time I want to go and like pop a champagne bottle. Every time he does some dumb shit, I go, I'm like crack. Oh, 
another one for the another one for the good guys, you know. When was your first death match? Going with the story of me hopping in cars, um, I eventually fell in, uh, into line with uh, guys like Shane Mercer and a guy named Aiden Blackheart. Uh, Shane had just got booked for the GCW show. They said it couldn't be done, which is people know is like a legendary show for myself and for honestly many people because it was the return of Jin Kasai to the United States. And uh, I hopped in the car and said, you know, I'm going to go. Why not? You know, go meet people, see what this is about. I didn't know what indie wrestling could be. And that show was where I realized what independent professional wrestling could be in terms of scale, production, and like rabid fan base. It was a whole different animal versus the mom and pop shows that, you know, run at the county fair. And I I just, I went there and I watched Alex Colon, who was basically my deathmatch wrestling uncle. I watched him and, Col- and Kasai-san uh, go out there and just have a professional wrestling match with glass. In it. I... I was never one to shit on deathmatch wrestling. I was just someone who was like in my head. I was like, because you don't know how tough you are until you get put, you know, to the fire. But I, in my head, was like, I don't, I could never do that. That's insane to me. Little did I know. Because <laughs> um, I watched that match, I go, wow, there's a beauty to deathmatch wrestling that people don't seem to get. Like the, like the glass and the barbed wire, and everything else is like extra fireworks to the parade that is professional wrestling. And uh, as we're driving home, uh, funny enough, too, uh, Cologne, I was sitting there cleaning his head because he had a gusset hole in his head, the holes in his head, rather. And he looked at me and goes, kid, stick to regular wrestling. Don't go to deathmatch wrestling. But at that exact same show, uh, Aiden got a call from uh, John Wayne Murdoch and Reed Bentley, the rejects, who were like, hey, do you want to go to Mexico to NGX, Monterey? And he's like, yeah. Uh, he looked at me and goes, can Akira come? And they go, we don't know him, but if you trust him, yeah, you know, why not? Okay. I didn't have a spot on the show. You know, Aiden did. I did. But it was, you want to come to Mexico? Do you want to, how much do you want to show face and, you know, maybe get something out of it? I said, yeah, let's do it. So after, after being told, kid, don't go do death matches, you know, here I was on my way to Mexico. Uh, like a month or two later. And there, um, I was in a suit, very well-dressed. It was hot. But they treated you like a king there. It was amazing. And, like, we t- they took us to the hotel. Um, they said, you know, we don't have a spot for you right now, but if anything opens up, just be ready. And mind you, I was dressing in trunks, you know, like, young boy trunks, like, well, customized, but very, not, you know, covering Knee pads, kick pads, so that so, so similar vein. And while I'm there, funny enough, at the, at the hotel, um, I'm sitting there, and a couple other Mexican wrestlers come in, you know, loose stores, and they uh, they say hi, hi, hi. And they're all sitting there, and there's two parts of the story. One, a couple of them leaned over to Aiden. I think it was either Aiden or John. I think it might have been John, and they, they look at me because I had long red hair. Listen, I, like I was pretty. I, I know, I know, I was pretty. But they looked at this, they leaned into them, and they go, ah, Kira, he, uh, he, uh, and he goes, what? And they go, can we have sex with him? And they go, no, you can't have sex with him. What the, no. And like, <laughs> they told me that, and I go, what? They go, they thought you were really hot. And I go, great, cool, awesome. 
And so now whenever whenever we went to Mexico again, uh, because there there's a section in Monterey where there's uh there's prostitutes. And there's there's a section for lady boys, and so uh, every time they we we drove by there again, they look at me and go, "Oh, Akira, Akira, lady boy." And I go, "I hate you all." And I had like a full beard at this point too. I was like, "I hate you all, I hate you all." But also, then uh, while we're sitting there, John gets a text and they go, "Hey, Akira, um, you want to be on the show?" I go, "Yeah." It's a death match. And mind you, we were in Mexico, and I wasn't like a, a weed smoker or anything. But I go, okay, this is probably going to hurt, but do we have weed? Yeah. Okay. Do we have tequila? Yeah. Let's go do a death match. <laughs> and that's what happened. Went out there, and apparently um, I stole the show because they, when I made my entrance, they were chanting me from, from beginning to end. And the hometown boys were just like, uh, one of them being a sick boy who is like another like wrestling uncle he was just like are you coming for my job kid what the hell he was like you're more over than i am and i'm from here um it was it was a surreal experience like these people were throwing money they were hugging me um they basically like when i went outside i fell outside of the ring after the match the people were helping me up and carrying me to the back and they were patting me on the back like Surreal experience. And then literally Aiden goes on Facebook and just puts Akira to set his first death match. And everyone was like, what? And it just snowballed to here. My next one was in America where I almost died because um, I was wrestling someone who I didn't know was very unsafe. And also the glass was untempered. So it broke into giant daggers and shredded me. Got that right here was wide open. So the doctor like, I saw his hand doing this, just checking there was no glass. I've also got right there, about that far away from killing me. No, oh, sorry, where my wow. camera's at? That far, yep. But I did that match, and that's where, like, when I came back, just like smiling and laughing. And in reality, I was almost nearly dead. Like, I, I could have been killed. And uh, Schlack, Marcus Crane. A bunch of people were back there and they were just like, are you good? And I go, yeah. And I, I think Schlack said, he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, when you did that, he's like, I knew you were tough. He's like, I knew he's like, he's like, you, you just, we're just laughing. Like it was no problem. He's just, so he's, he said, he said, I knew you were tough. And then he said, when I saw you were laughing, he's like, I didn't care. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> if he's laughing, he's good. After talking to you, it, it sounds like, yes, Deathmatch wrestling is dangerous, but there is a safe way of doing it, right? There is there is a safe way of doing it, yes. Um, now, is it a 100% guarantee? No, it's essentially just like working any stipulation match. Like, what was that? That one WWE match, uh, someone did a ladder spot, and the ladder smacked someone in the face and destroyed their face. I'm like, shit happens. Same with professional wrestling. Like, someone – like. Uh, Takiyama-san in Japan did a sunset flip and broke his neck. Shit happens. Nothing is 100% guaranteed, but there's a safe way of doing things. And it goes with the same ilk of, because I'm, there were a lot more injuries, I believe, er, earlier in deathmatch wrestling, like in the early 2000s, uh, especially in the United States. But I feel also because the style changed and because we became smarter on how to do things, injuries have decreased dramatically as well 
But also, I as the injuries have decreased, I think the talent pool has increased too because it's been you had you had your rare gems like your uh, Onitas, your Foley's. You had you had those rare gems. Then that, but now you have the air that era gave birth to guys like you know June Kasai, Alex Colon, Masashi Takeda, um, you know John Moxley, for example. Myself, you know, um, you know, say what you will about his politics, but like. Drake Younger was like the premier deathmatch wrestler for a lot of the late 2000s or early 2010s. Like the dude was going to be PWG champion. He he was that he was that talented of a of a wrestler. You know, like the game has changed, but unfortunately, it's still fighting the old stigma and the old uh, adages that you know we can't wrestle. We just do this because we can't. In reality, it's not we do it. We just do it because when we do it with this, these weapons, you're not going to question what we do is real or not. Yeah, because we were talking before uh, we started recording, and, you know, you have a very technical style. You know, I, I, I watched the match with you and Jordan Oliver, and, you know, I mean, I was like, wow, you know, the, this guy can really wrestle. And, and, and some people have this idea as, well, they only do deathmatch wrestling because they can't wrestle you know and and what's your take on that akira uh do you do you guys like mcfoley yeah he was deathmatch wrestler no he wasn't iwa japan uh shut up you don't know what you're talking about just because a few people made a name of themselves off of something bad it's just like saying it's like saying any kind of person can't wrestle like it's it's silly you know Hogan can't wrestle. It's like, no, Hogan could wrestle. Could he wrestle as best as everyone else? No, he was no Bret Hart. But he was over. It's all that matters. Do you love Sandman? Oh, dude, I love Sandman. Sandman can't wrestle? What do you mean? Have you watched a Sandman match? His best things that he does is beer in the head and hit each other, hitting someone with something. But it doesn't matter because he's over, so he can wrestle. Like, to me, wrestling is a very broad spectrum of technical talent versus charisma and connection with the audience stone cold was a great wrestler before he when he was stunning steve then he got hurt and his knees started giving out and he became much more of a brawler not much of a so much of a wrestler but was he still a great wrestler yes because he 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 figured out how to wrestle in different ways and connect with the crowd in different ways. that's that's all it is like i'm sorry onita today is not a great technical wrestler he man can barely walk but he can go out there and get more of a reaction than probably anybody else because he does what he can. You know, you work within your means. Um, that's just how it is. It's, 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 such, it's such a very one take, one note way of looking at what we do is by saying, oh, because they do things this way, they can't wrestle. I'm like you're, you're just, I don't want to say ignorant because it's an over, overplayed pejorative, but in reality, you are a very narrow-minded and shallow-thinking individual. We have a few minutes, and before we do run out of time, Akira, I want to uh, give this time so we can talk about your friend. Uh, you had a friend recently pass away, Don O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk to my audience and, and share a little bit about him and what he meant to you and what he meant to the business of professional wrestling. If people don't know who, who Sean was, Sean O'Brien, SPO, ref SPO, man bun, as we called him, was like the ref in the Midwest. Like, if you go to a show, he's probably there. 
he was, you know, a staple at IWA, a staple in the Jeffersonville, in the Louisville, Kentucky area. He was like the ref, you know, if it wasn't at OBW. Sean was a loving father, um, a loving person, a very relaxed person, a very silly. And we, we tell him to his face, Sean, you're so stupid. <laughs> like, he did some dumb, dumb, dumb stuff. And we're just like, Sean, you dummy. Like, the last thing that he did, I remember, was uh, – so he, they did a, he got on Botchamania, his last thing. Um, and there was a thing where, uh, like, they were setting up a door for a table spot. And the, I guess one of the chairs broke. And so they <laughs> did one of the wrestlers grabbed Sean, grabbed him, and he, as Sean's complaining, puts him down there as a chair for the door, and then power pops the tooth to the door. <laughs> And then the door didn't break. So Sean literally got to say, I am the table. And as we're doing this, I saw the clip and I go, I just wanted to text and go, you stupid asshole. But it was so funny. Like, how can you not just see that and laugh? The whole thing. I, I'm I'm a very relaxed person when it comes to professional wrestling. I don't care if it's silly, as long as it's silly and it's done right. And this, this your, your silliness gets the reaction that you wanted out of me. If it's silly and it sucks, it's like watching comedians suck. You're just like, but Sean, even when he did dumb stuff, it was still funny. Like, I could still just sit there and just laugh about it. And I could sit there now and just look back and I go, he wouldn't be the person that he was if he wasn't that big of a dummy that we loved, you know? Like, I, I, I can go back now and watch that botch mania and be like, that was my friend. When I first got introduced to the Jeffersville area, he was the ref. He was the first ref that I worked with, you know? Um, worked at Two Tough Tony, uh, Suits of Tony, who is a uh, IWA deathmatch legend. Um, I worked at his school. Uh, you know, I'd go and I'd train. But Sean was the ref. And I'd, make, I'd go to shows with Sean. I, we would be at every show with Sean. Sean was basically there to see me go from the kid with the long hair to the guy that you see in front of you. You know, he got to, he got to see me go from the kid no one took a chance on to you know, now being on MLW and being on actual TV. And I just remember him hugging me. And he's like, dude, that shit's so cool, man. That shit's so cool. And I, you know, you just kind of, you hear it a bunch. You just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I just think about it. I go, I really should have told him thank you more. And that makes me think about all, me talking to anyone who I'm talking to, you know. Sean was a giver. He would give as much as he could for every show. He'd Iron Man whole shows like man like i'm talking nine to ten match cards so he's out there for two and a half hours three hours maybe getting a drink of water he would he would sit there and he would hustle he wouldn't complain and that afterwards he'd be all smiles he just want to go smoke out back and we'd be like yeah sean let's go smoke one of the best and least uh selfish dudes i will ever meet and he was a great dad who loved his daughter worked his ass off was always talking about her and he's gonna be missed because uh there's not many people like that in the world let alone the world of professional wrestling not many people who are just givers not takers um and i hope that you know when i'm all said and done um i can look down and he can be proud that i was his friend because i'm proud to be his friend man thank you Thank you for sharing that, and uh, I, I wish I knew him. He's someone that, he's the guy that you kind of, you wish you had known, and people would say, dude, if you had known him. 
he was the best. He was a silly, silly person, but he was silly in the best way that it enhanced your life because you could sit there and just laugh. Akira, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for giving me your time. All right. Thank you very much, man. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fool. The Pro, Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume one. 1, Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, it's a wrestling, wrestling.